This is Informal Takes, episode two, with Bryson and Elias. Midnight in Paris. Get excited. Yeah, so right now what we're going to do is uh, movies we love. Um, and today we're going to um, focus on Midnight in Paris, a movie that uh, Bryson showed me back in the day. And before we ramble on about how fucking dope this movie is, I'll give you a, basis, uh, a basic outline of the plot. You want to hit him with it, Bryson? You want to tell them a little bit about our endeavors to get here? Um, fuck it, yeah. How Informal started? Mm-hmm. All right, How Informal Take started. Um, we listen to a bunch of podcasts, like many people in the world. Plenty of people in the world. Back before it was cool. Uh, yeah, <laughs> back when we uh, we used to fucking critique podcasts. I'm like, dude, this shit's super <laughs> weak. Like, why, why are these takes so weak right now? And so I th- we always knew we had to step in eventually. We just had to uh, put in the work. And now we have the equipment. And here we are. Before we um, before we ramble on about how much we love ourselves and our genius. Yeah, and our genius and the pretentiousness and ostentatiousness. Uh, and Not just of ourselves, but I think of every naive, uh, romantic, cism-like, Mid twenty year old. Yeah, exactly. Like, um, and so we speak for plenty, and we want to hear from you about how fucking dumb we can be, and how we can fix ourselves, and get. We always try to get predator perspective on the characters that we're critiquing in movies, because we're just, um, even though we're both twenty six years old and mature, there's something about that high school fucking <laughs> a freshman sophomore year fucking. Uh, I'm a millennial, I guess. Just like how much, uh, how never grow up, never grow up. Yeah, the Peter Pan. Yeah, Peter Pan. You know, Bang Rang, Lost Boys stuff. But right, here we go. We're gonna enter Midnight in Paris. Um, we're gonna hit you with a banger, starting now. No subject is terrible if the story is true, if the prose is clean and honest, and if it affirms courage and grace under pressure. Ernest Hemingway, my dog setting the tone for uh, informal takes and the how big we're gonna, dog, the how big we're, dog setting the tone. <laughs> how we're gonna approach uh, pretty much everything in life right here, um, as long as it's honest. Yeah, this this movie in a weird way, even though it's uh, captures the energy of me and Bryson and what we're gonna provide through this the rest of this podcast uh, longevity is. Bryson's always been Fitzgerald, the romanticism of, <laughs> with this and that, the blonde, the Zelda, the everything that goes with it, and the Heming. I always felt personally provided that Hemingway spirit of just bluntness, uh, the wine skis, the bud skis, <laughs> everything just coming out of it uh, a little bit too hot. You speaking your own language. Sometimes. Speaking their own language, yeah. Kind of speaking in quotes. Um, yeah, we're definitely go. we're suckers for lines, and a movie with great lines you could bet it's in our top ten. Uh, and <laughs> dead ass. And dead this ass. is one of those movies. Uh, we might not go over too many of the quotes in this movie, but this is one that yeah. it's hard to forget. And as soon as you hear it, every time it tickles your fancy. Okay, um, and yeah, and we're going to get into the plot of this, so don't get lost. I know it might seem too much literature, this and that, but I've only read one Hemingway uh, book and one Fitzgerald book, and if one of each of these artists that are provided throughout this whole movie 
We'll get to the Palm movie in a second, but you don't need to be a, a lit major to fucking appreciate a great fucking movie. That's the whole point of informal takes. You don't have to be formally fucking educated to appreciate fucking great art, beautiful cinematography, and everything that it provides, the whole energy. Just sit along for the ride and, you know, hear our informal take. And so here we go. All right, so let's start with the plot. We're going to enter with our protagonist, uh, Gil Pender, Owen Wilson, my guy. He's our young, romantic, successful screenwriter who has aspirations of being a literary novelist. Um, his idols are Scott Fitzgerald, Ernest Hemingway. The classics. The classics. The OGs. He, yeah, and he... Uh, there's a reason why those are his idols. He wants to live in that time. He has a desire that maybe the 2010s, that's not where he should be. He should have been born at a later time, 1920s. Um, and he's contrasted by his fiance, Rachel McAdams, Inez. She is a more of an American, self-centered, materialistic individual. And there's a clear divide between them uh, that the audience can see, not that they're aware of exactly. Yeah, and she's, um, they say opposites attract, but she's one of those, it's its not, it doesn't if, click in the first place. If he place. wasn't a successful screenwriter, they probably wouldn't be together. Yeah, status so she's along a, for the ride status. Status is important to her. And yeah. they really kind of subtly hit on the fact that like, oh. She wants to live in Malibu, he wants to move in an attic in Paris. Yeah, he wants to struggle like um, all romantics do, and um, in a way. And she really lets it know, like, do subtly in the first in the first act, you know, they really let it know. She's like, oh, like, just don't don't think about the hard stuff. We already got it good. Do you really so want to struggle? Do you really want to struggle? Like, yeah. Do you so really want to give up all that success you have back in Hollywood just to fulfill your dream? Yeah. And so that's how they are. You know, that's how they introduce the characters. The main, you know, the first two while they're out in Paris. They really their, established uh, that golden age thinking concept where. Yeah. It's uh, to live in a previous time. That's what the theme of the movie is. Would it be better to have been born in a previous era? Yeah, and um, they and they introduce it by they go. Um, it's them. They meet. They they have dinner with their parents. They run into a contrasting couple. How do they end up on this weird journey? Is that after the end of the night, you can tell their personalities class uh, cl- what crash clash against the main character, Owen Wilson's character, Gil. They, everyone else, the three characters, uh, Rachel McAdams and the other couple, they want to go dancing. They want to go have a good time. They want to stay loose. And he's just all up in his, uh, he's being an introvert. He's all up in his feels, you know, like. Uh, he's not digging the vibe of their guests. Um, it's kind of pretentiousness going on around there. He just wants to take off and walk the city and take it in. Yeah, and um, so that's what they do. Like, uh, sh- they all ask him to go out. They send him the the invite, and he's like, "No, I'm just gonna go for a walk." And everyone's having too much of a good time, and that's how it happens sometimes. You know, some they're both on the wrong, but they want to split. Sometimes, you yeah, need they invite. they want to go live in their emotions. There's nothing wrong with that. I think a lot a uh, majority of people do that. And there's always that other twenty percent who are like, "Nah, you know what? I'm just gonna go." Go on my vibe real quick. Gonna go, go wander, and that's where our character chooses, and it leads him down a fucking rabbit hole. And you know those are always that's a rabbit stories. hole. That's a great way to start it, uh, describe it. Finds himself lost in Paris, midnight. Doesn't know what to do. Doesn't speak the language, 
and uh, he just sits down. Clock strikes midnight, and a random car picks him up. No, those old, what do you, what do you old, call them? Old fucking, old, like, 1924 fucking carriages, uh, cars. And uh, picks him up. They insist. Um, he finds himself somehow in the 1920s, yet still doesn't know yet. He meets Fitzgerald, meets Hemingway, meets Gertrude Stein, and he is astounded and confused, and he's constantly trying to figure it out, but all the characters are confused as well and just ignore him. And that's probably one of the greatest aspects of this movie is just how all the characters around him ignore his confusion and just continue on with the story. And um, that's one of the things I really want to pause upon. You know, um, we might come in on a little too heavy because we're very ex- – we've watched this movie tons of times. It's so familiar with us. Maybe the audience isn't so uh, familiar. But one of the main reasons why I love this movie and I showed uh, family, give no context, this and that. And they all kind of agreed. It has that particular, it's called Midnight in Paris, if you haven't already known that, but it has that particular, it's captured the essence of midnight. You know, um, that weird strangeness, the way the fucking, the light hits. Witching hour. Yeah, the witching hour. But like, sometimes you just don't, you know, strange things pop up and you just don't really question them. It's very dreamlike. It's intimate. Yeah, it's it's dreamlike, intimate. Everyone's asleep. You can get some alone time if you haven't had it. Yeah, and I think this movie captures it in it perfectly, better than most movies. Every scene, every scene in Midnight in Paris in the 1920s takes place at night, post midnight. Yeah, and um, you can't overlook that. You can never overlook that because I spent plenty of times about all of us have, but I think. This movie just captures the essence, it, the essence of it, and just fucking just knocks it out of the park. So we um, let's finish with the plot. You know, eventually, you know, they uh, he wants to write. He has his literary ri- idols. They give him some advice. He gives them their not his novel, and he moves on with that. And he constantly, a few more nights of exploring that, falls in love. With the he young, falls in love with the character. Uh, was it H- with a <sighs> character from the nineteen twenties, mm-hmm. um, and and he goes back and forth, and eventually they find themselves in the eighteen nineties, her golden age, where she thought it was a better time. Mm-hmm. And this is where our character Gil Pender starts to have some insights. Where he's like, "Oh fuck, this shit's crazy!" Like I thought this was the golden era. Now the golden now era. Now she that, thinks that something else is a golden yeah, era, they, and then the people there think that they, uh, somewhere else is a golden era, and it's kind of a lesson that yeah. there is no golden era. There's you just be in the era that you're in and create art there. Yeah, and he realizes it even through the nuances and like the not so um, high key obvious like romantic reasons. He's like, "Fuck, dude!" Like, uh. Indoor plumbing, it's going to be huge. <laughs> you know what I mean? Fucking antibiotics. She's like, what are antibiotics? He's like, what the fuck? He goes, I don't want to live in an era where this shit's fucking unsanitary There's no Novocaine. There's no Novocaine. Yeah. There's, There's nothing in every pain. He's yeah. like, fuck. And like, that's just a minor detail, but in the sense of... Um, so he ends up, he ends up having a revelation that he's better off in the time he is, but he just needs to make decisions that make him happy. And he could, and he follows his dream and create art that he wants to create. He splits from Inez, his fiance, and he finds himself moving to Paris. 
and living the life he always dreamed of. And it was all his decision. Um, I want to talk about why I love this movie a little bit. First, the writing. I love the writing. I love how Owen Wilson portrays this character. He's constantly confused. Um, every time he's trying to figure it out and trying to get someone to give him an explanation, they just look at him confusingly and they move on. It's brilliant. The story keeps moving forward despite his confusion. Um, the humor. <laughs> I love the humor. Yeah, yeah and that's why... Um... This movie is fucking great in the sense of it won original um, screenplay, screenplay, and even if that doesn't Oscar. mean shit, if that doesn't mean shit to you, it's all good. That's, that's why the, that's that's the best category the Oscars has, and it's the category that's always yeah. But this getting. is informal takes. We appreciate it, but at the same time, as the audience, you don't have to you don't have to know that shit to appreciate a great movie. Um, you if you watch this movie, the the lines itself, you don't need to know about its accolades. It's gonna hit you with a fucking one two Mayweather. You know what I mean? Three four McGregor because it's just banger after banger of just great, great, uh, great screen screenplay writing is almost like the dialogue is is like a so- two part monologue. It's people going mono y mono. Of just capturing the essence of a scene and going toe to toe of, and this is what this movie captures. Owen Wilson's portrayal of a writer, uh, you know, he he thinks he's a hack. He doesn't believe in himself entirely. Doesn't think he can manage it, despite him being successful screenwriter. Um, I think a lot of us can speak to that. I know I could. I especially out of high school, like. You, you you've read Hemingway, you've read Fitzgerald, you tried to imitate them, then you read it and you realize it's not that good, or you're just pretending. Um, and so I could really like feel I was Owen Wilson's, like I was in Owen Wilson's shoes there. Um, so I love that part and the fancy notion of Paris. Always fall in love with Paris. Girlfriends love Paris. I love Paris. I'm very much romantic at heart when it comes to stuff like that. Um, the cinematography, it's magical. Just encapsulates you, takes you in, makes you believe that this world actually exists despite the modern (laughs) lights. They've managed to capture the magic of the 1920s, or at least create it. Um, and then finally, I would like to mention the girls, the actresses they cast. I love them. I know you love them. We've got Rachel McAdams. Marion Cotillard and Les Seydoux. The past, the present, and then the future. All. They know how to cast her. Yeah, he always does. And, um, you know, to be contrary to that whole beautiful take that I respect, but I don't, <laughs> I do not care about Paris in that way. Uh, and I still appreciate that movie. He's never been, so. No, but the thing is, post, I, I, it doesn't, Paris doesn't fucking uh, sway me, it doesn't get me wooed. I don't care about Paris. Uh, I'm just keeping it real. I never have, never will. But I still appreciate this movie. Like the title of this movie doesn't um, 
I, I went into this movie didn't objectively. Draw you in. The title yeah, didn't the draw title you didn't in. draw me in. I was like, oh, I went to my parents' fucking Woody Allen movie. Like this fucking guy over here is like, oh, like Woody, <laughs> Woody Allen. I gotta watch everything he does. This and that. But I was like, you know what? It's I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go in it objectively. I don't really care. But it's a great fucking movie. And um, you don't know, like I said, um, you, this movie's so beautiful and captures all essences. I think it has it has great macro and micro like. If you want to know the details, if you want to be immersed in it, you can. Even while I was rewatching this movie yesterday with Bryson, I was taking notes. I was like, I took. We put the subtitles on, and I was like, I was taking notes on words that are in like fucking specific things they've said in the movie that I always overlooked because it just was a blur um, verbally. And um, I actually genuinely got interested if, through curiosity. I was like, I'll look that up later. I was like, I'll look up what that means. I'll look up these artists because, like I said, I've only read one Hemingway book, um, one Fitzgerald book, and I don't want this movie to be, even though I think this movie captures perfectly um, the, instance, the essence of literature, you don't have to be fucking pretentious. It's fucking beautiful. Like, uh, they have a great couple of scenarios. The writing is simple. Yeah, the writing is simple, but like it portrays the artists who wrote great literature as simple beings with conflicts as well like so my my uh a lot of my reasoning for why i love this movie comes from about the time the first time i saw it you know 2011 saw it in theaters right out of high school just graduated really impressionable looking for a coming of age story torn between lovers and i had never felt more on the edge of my seat than watching this movie. Wanting to make quick decisions, wanting to follow your dreams, wanting to travel to Paris, being Gil Pender's shoes, being a romantic, being young and influential. Um, and all of a sudden, enter to this fantasy land dream state for love, adventure, and symbols of independence, which I'm searching for at that time, just out of high school. Um, and all those things combined really made this movie like probably my favorite movie of all time in 2011. No, it was a great fucking movie. I, at the time, I think I just fucking enjoyed the movie so much. I don't know if I put it in my top 10. It could have been in or out, but um, I just loved the energy of all the characters Not just Hemingway, who is, I felt like, really like from the intro you heard, that soundbite just really fucking fired me up. And a bunch of other quotes he has. Um, so, 10 years later, it kind of makes me feel like it's the first time I've watched it. Um, every time I watch it, it's the same thing. I get wooed. And... You know, recently I've been to Paris, and this is the first time I watched it since I've been to Paris, and it did not break the magic for me at all. If anything, it just made the it made the movie even more magical. I got to see what it was like in reality, and there's no Instagram filters in Paris when I was there, and I have much more appreciation for cinematography now, and how cinematography can help create a world, uh, in a world. They okay. made us believe yeah. it was the 1920s, all through lights. Yeah, the lighting yeah. game is off the hook for sure. 
Yeah, dude, 10 years later, fuck, I guess it's been that long, almost. Um, Since I, when I was in Paris, like, I'm going to play you a clip right now of of one line from the movie that I think it was a banger and how it really makes me feel. Sometimes think, how's anyone ever going to come up with a book or a painting or a symphony or a sculpture that can compete with a great city? You can't, because like you look around, every every street, every boulevard is its own special art form. And when you think that in you know the cold, violent, meaningless universe that Paris exists, these lights, I mean, come on, there's nothing happening on Jupiter or Neptune, but from way out in space, you can see these lights, the cafes, people drinking, singing. I mean, for all we know, Paris is the hottest spot in the universe. Cause this hottest is hottest spot in the universe, man, and that's how I feel. I've been, I've never been to any big city, European cities, you know. And recently, I went to Paris, London, and Amsterdam, and that line can never be more true. Um, it's a, it can be a fantasy world if you engross yourself in it, um, and this movie is that. This movie is. Makes you feel like you're in the hot spot in the universe. Okay. I respect that take. I totally go against it. In the sense of I've never had that wanderlust, the travel bug. I've never saw any other town or city for some romantic um, fulfillment. And that's just keeping it real. Like I may be like... Um, that's you know i'm probably in the minority with that you know um and it doesn't mean i'm right or wrong but i i always feel like you can find a magical spot anywhere locally you know so they gave me like 20 meters like 20 kilometers of fucking land you know i'll find something magical in the corners so but the fact that it t- does take pl- um, place in paris it makes sense. Everything he said does make sense. Um, I've always been more of the fucking resistant because I've had people like, oh, you have to go somewhere to find find that fix. And I've never felt that personally. But when I watch this movie, you know, it's like, it fucking makes sense. Yeah, in Paris at midnight. If you don't find something magical in Paris at midnight, then go fuck yourself, right? Because I always had these conversations even with my mom like, um, in a weird way, when I was all into my fucking books as a younger age, especially around this time, one of my mantras that was countercultural, quote unquote countercultural, is your geographical location doesn't determine your happiness. That's how I felt, and that was always my mantra going in. Of course, you have no golden age thinking fallacy. You're 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 completely in the moment in some ways, and you don't need to go get something to make you happy. However. You need to travel more, and I'm gonna fucking steal you, and I'm dragging your ass to Paris and uh, Barcelona next year. Um, yeah, dead ass, dead ass. But it, I think I always felt like it went up. Um, my mom used to make fun of me for all the little fucking Buddhist books and uh, Zen books I used to read growing up. Like I'm talking about like ninth, like eighth, ninth, tenth grade, and all, all these little stories. Oh, they're like two page little stories max, and they always made sense to me. It always had to do with. You know, uh, never getting lost on the horizon. Always, you know, but at the same time, don't trip over your feet. You know, see where you're at and find present. Find, like, 
the present moment is always the best. And even though I always get lost in dreams and whatnot, I felt like uh, travel and uh, the, like the golden age, golden age nostalgia things it was one of those things I I overlapped, but I probably compensated with like lofty dreams. I'm not saying I'm flawless, but when it came to travel, like the travel bug, the wanderlust, it never, it never really spoke to me. You know, Paris has always, especially since this movie, Paris has always been like a, a bucket list. It's been like a like a mountain I needed to climb to almost like move on. Uh, especially since I'm mid twenties, is feeling a little quarter life crisis in some ways. I feel like I need to do something monumental. But why you Paris? Know? Why Paris? You know, uh, Paris is a cliche for a reason. Um, cliches are true, and Paris is like very romantic area it's a symbol for a lot of people uh, to travel travel the world to get to and being a californian um it's pretty far away it's one of the farthest places you can go and i i started having dreams from it girlfriends and romantic themes and i've always been a relationship guy and um paris is always like this intimate magical um, symbol of independence and self-reliance place and I wanted to achieve that I wanted to get there I didn't want to feel like I wasn't doing anything important or any I wasn't achieving any of my dreams and that was one of my big dreams and to actually have achieved it just to go there spend some time and come back it was like shedding a new skin um, and now I feel like I can move on um, and to share that time, you know, with my love, you know, Presley, and um, it was really good for both of us. And now it's one of our favorite places in the world. And uh, in some ways, it's an authentic Disneyland. <laughs> you know, if Disneyland wasn't everything that was just, if Disneyland wasn't just facades, that's what Paris is um, to some people. And it, that's what it represents to me. Yeah, and I respect that like a hundred percent. Like, I know everyone with a little uh, wanderlust and travel bug. Paris, Paris is always in the top. It's like in the, it's in the general stratosphere of like I where to go. It's always in the top five for sure. And um, personally, I don't have a travel bug, wanderlust type of spirit. Um, I love to explore. I like to. Um, travel, but to me, travel doesn't have to extend past far. Um, and I, I don't, the reason why I bring that up is to contrast to the audience is that to appreciate, you don't have to, you're right. You don't have to love, you don't have to love travel or this particular city to fucking appreciate this great movie. A Midnight in Paris could be anything. It could be anything, yeah. Like, if you don't find the magic in fucking Paris at midnight, then, you know, go fuck yourself. Because um, I probably already said that because it needs to be repeated (laughs) in the sense of um, if you don't travel your local spots, you know, and you don't find the magic in that, I think to to overcompensate to, like, a a grand gesture and great talents or great travel... um, I think that's a good way to wrap it up, you know. Find the magic in the present and then and in any, anywhere you go, there's magic to be found and it's there's something to appreciate. 
Yeah, get lost. Get lost in your fucking wherever the fuck you're at. And something magical is going to happen. I've always felt that. I've always known that. And I honestly, my, my, you know, my great mentor, my cousin Ricky and my mom have always said that, like, you know, when you peel back the magic of where you're at, you know, that's uh, great shit's going to pop off. And this movie captures it at its apex of, like, that leads down a great rabbit hole of literature and art and it magic. creates this very whimsical magical world that you want to be a part of but it also tells you 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 can't just go there you gotta you gotta enjoy the present enjoy where you are currently and where you can go and enjoy the magic appreciate appreciate where you what you have and yeah, and don't definitely don't get lost in the sauce. And I think and create I, art, create good art. Mm-hmm. Good art's whatever you think it is. Great fucking art. And I think the thing I loved most about this movie is that you know um, whoever, well, obviously fucking Woody Allen wrote this movie, but great artists, writers understand it's part of the it's part of the development of becoming an artist is where you do get lost in nostalgic golden age thinking of, Oh man, I wish I can fucking kick it with Da Vinci and Michelangelo and uh, Donatello, you know, <laughs> the Ninja Turtles, the Ninja Turtles. <laughs> Turtles who are fucking named after uh, Renaissance area. Re- Renaissance, yeah. There's plenty of make Shout nowadays. out to TMZ. There's the Harry Potter yeah. people, yeah. But it's like the it's the fallacy thinking of you know, there's always a be- there's always a better time. There's always a better place. Yeah, like but the 1950s, the night, you know, whatever it is. There's always a different era that's super fucking nostalgic and But if you if you subscribe to that, you'll never you'll never go there. You'll never be there. And you'll miss out completely on where the best place and time is and that's where you are currently. Yeah, you miss out on both because the past is the past and you miss out on the present. So it's a fucking it's a it's a lose lose situation and I think that's super real. And to think that's um, at least I can speak for myself. That's one of the real shits of, of always getting lost in dreams. And I, as much as I try to be in the present, it's so the, the it's so enticing. And this movie is just um, what do you call it? It's a it's a great way to give a warning out. Like it's a romantic warning of there's you know, a moral. There's a moral. Yeah, here. there's a moral story. It's not passive and. Uh, and I think it be the reason why this movie is so great is because it's so real and how, like I think we all like it's believable. It's believable. It's science fiction, but you believe it. Like yeah, I think yeah. it applies to all whether you're an artist or not, because or, everyone's an artist in one way. It doesn't have to be on a canvas or paper. They can be through. Um, classic line in the movie is the artist's job is not to su- succumb to the emptiness of existence. But to create an antidote for the meaninglessness. Yeah, shout out. I was I was waiting for you to fuck that up, and he didn't. So, I shout think out to I, might have, I might have fucked it up, but that's the essence. It's a paraphrase. <laughs> oh, you didn't fuck it up. It was a paraphrase. <laughs> paraphrase best. Gracious Stein, but um.
But that's a, I really that's, want this movie. Well, I I feel like I have to. I keep knocking it over on the head. Is I want this movie to be inclusive. It's not exclusive to, um, just people who fucking love literature. And I think you made the point. Yeah, I think you're good. So I can cross it. I can cross that. You I can, can cross it out. Yeah, that's a drum you've been beating. All right, but, so um, if I can get with it now, <laughs> get with it. Now. That's the informal take of Midnight in Paris. Um, it's probably a C version. Only episode two, sophomore, sophomore year, a little bit right there. Not even. We're still freshmen. <laughs> yeah, it's day two. Day two. Day two. Right, we so have we'll... our second best clothes on after school shopping. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so we'll be back at it. Uh, Angie with this line. My boss got a whole new album of Cole Porter songs. That made you think about me. <laughs> I like to be thought of that way. I'm getting, you're on your way home right now? Yes. Can I walk with you or I'll buy you a cup of coffee or... or okay, now it's starting to rain. <laughs> no, but that's okay. I don't mind if you went. Really? Yeah. Actually, Paris is the most beautiful in the rain. I 